you. If you turn with me this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're continuing our study in the pastoral epistles, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. We're in 2 Timothy, and uh, we're going to pick up our study in verse 14. Last uh, time, two weeks ago, we were dealing with uh, verses 8 through 13, where the focus is on remembering Jesus Christ and uh, specific things about Christ we're to remember as we walk with him. And we pick up this morning dealing with a section that focuses on the importance of God's truth, verses 14 through 19. And as we read, remember, this is the word of God. Remind them of these things. And solemnly charge them in the presence of God, not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. That is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your, for your holy word. We know it is your word. It is given to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We know that it is without error. We know that it is fully authoritative, that it is powerful, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray that we will be reminded of that this morning and that your word would have its way with us. By your Holy Spirit, would you take it? Would you use it? Would you apply it to our hearts and to our lives that we might be pointed to Christ and be drawn closer to him? and have a, an even more firm foundation upon which to build our lives. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we, we live in a day when the lines are fuzzy between truth and error. For example, we live in a pluralistic culture where we try to legitimize everyone's opinions and ideas. We live in a tolerant society that embraces even some of the most outlandish concepts. We live in a hesitant world, a world that is hesitant to declare much to be out of bounds or off limits. We live in a time where there are a lot of people among us who do not want to accept the idea of an absolute truth. So here we are as believers living in a world, for the most part, where we really don't fit. The world's idea of truth is far different from that of the Christian world and life view. That's why Paul tells us in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world. We do believe there is a right and a wrong. We do believe there are absolutes. We do believe that there are some things that are true and other things that are false. That's why, for example, we stand on the other side of the of the pro-choice people. We do believe that abortion is wrong. 
That's why we stand on the other side of the gay rights movement. Because we do believe that homosexuality is a sin. That's why we are frustrated with our judicial system. It's because we do believe that those who commit crimes ought to receive swift and appropriate punishment. You see, that is one of the distinguishing marks of of an evangelical Christian, especially of a Reformed Christian. We believe in the truth. We are committed to the truth. And we are led by the truth. You know, God is the truth. And he cannot lie. Jesus said of himself, I am the truth. And he said of his father, your word is truth. In contrast, the Bible says that Satan is a liar. He is the father of lies. It's his nature to lie and to deceive. And so we live in a world where there is truth and there is falsehood but the lines of distinction between those two have become increasingly fuzzy our world is hesitant to make those distinctions and to say well this is true and that is false this is right and this is wrong and part of our responsibility and obligation as believers is to be discerning to make those distinctions between truth and error between truth and falsehood and it is God's word isn't it that helps us make those distinctions. Now the church is not immune to being confronted by what is false. All the way through history, God's people have been threatened by false teaching. I mentioned earlier, it began all the way back in the Garden of Eden. What did the serpent do to Eve? He told her something that was false. He gave her false teaching. He contradicted the truth of God. What happened in the wilderness of Sinai when Aaron built the golden calf? Well, the leader of the people looked at that calf, that golden calf, and they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And they said something that was patently false. What happened to the prophets of God? It seems like without exception, every time the prophet of God rose up to speak God's truth, there was a a false prophet who came up to declare the opposite and to say what was false. Many of you have experienced that yourselves. Some of you are here at North Point because you were a part of churches that wandered away from the truth and began to teach things that were false. And so it's essential, you see, that we hold on earnestly to what is true. And what we find in our text this morning is Paul telling Timothy some important things about God's truth. Now, this is an important text for those of us at North Point and other churches like us who hold God's word in high esteem. What does Paul tell Timothy and tell us about the importance of God's truth here in this text? Well, there are several things. First, he simply tells Timothy to remind God's people of God's truth. To remind God's people of the importance of God's truth. Notice what he says in verse 14. Remind them of these things. The word them refers to the believers, to the members of the church there in Ephesus. Uh, for whom Timothy was serving as pastor. 
The phrase, these things, where he says, remind them of these things, could refer in the immediate context to uh, the, to the creed or the hymn that he just quoted in verses 11 through 13 that we looked at two weeks ago. That, that hymn that points to the importance of Christ and the supremacy of Christ and the importance of, of trusting in Christ. But I think in the broader context, it's, it's helpful to see Paul's admonition here when he says to Timothy, remind them of these things. And it was to be an exhortation to remind them of the whole of God's truth. Everything that he was to teach them and to instruct them. You see, one of Paul's primary purposes in writing this letter, as well as 1 Timothy, was to encourage Timothy to hold on to the truth himself and then to pass the truth on to others who would be faithful to do the same. And you have to see much of what Paul says to Timothy in these letters in the context of the danger of the false teachers who had infiltrated the church and were trying to lead the people away from the truth of God. The word remind here, where he says remind them, is in the Greek a present imperative, which means that it wasn't something Timothy was just to do once and forget. It was something he was to do over and over again, something he was to do as a matter of practice. He was to remind the people consistently, persistently, of the importance of God's truth. He was to remind them that the, the word of God is the power of God unto salvation that it is God's truth, it is God's word, and that we are to believe it, we are to embrace it, and we are to obey it. He was to do that over and over again. And that's to be our practice here. One of my primary responsibilities as your pastor is to remind you of the truth of God, to teach you the truth of God, to proclaim to you the truth of God, and to do it repeatedly. To remind you over and over again, one of my primary responsibilities, as we'll see, is to stand before you week by week, repeatedly pointing you to the importance of God's truth. And so, Timothy was simply to remind God's people of God's truth. Second, he tells Timothy to charge God's people not to argue about God's truth. Now, just having come from the General Assembly of the PCA... That seems like very appropriate and a very appropriate admonition. We are, we Presbyterians, I'll just say us, we Presbyterians are experts at wrangling about words. And that's what Paul says not to do in verse 14. Remind them of these things and solemnly, listen how he says it, solemnly charge them in the presence of God, not to wrangle about words. Now, let's be clear. Sometimes discussion and sometimes earnest discussion is necessary to distinguish between truth and error, what is right and what is wrong. But even that is to be done in a spirit of love and affection, not with any intent to divide or to uh, drive a wedge between believers or to divide the body of Christ. Someone once told me, what we, need to do, what we need around here is more debate. Debate? Really? In the church? It's not what I come here to do. I trust that's what you come here to do. We don't come here to wrangle 
about words. I told you before that back when I was in seminary, there was a quite, quite a hot theological issue uh, which was known as theonomy. Uh, the heart of theonomy had to do with the question of the way in which the Old Testament civil law, what we know as the case law, applies to believers today, whether you should take your child's life for cursing you, for example. It was a very, very contentious issue. There was a lot of wrangling about words at RTS back in the day. And it was divisive. I mean, just didn't just divide the seminary, it divided churches because men who embraced that particular perspective would go into churches and try to teach it and you know what happened. It was contentious, it was divisive and many churches divided over it. It was, as Paul says, look at what he says about wrangling about words. It was useless, end of verse 14, useless and leads to the, led to the ruin of the hearers. You know, we could do a lot about wrangling about words here if we wanted to, couldn't we? Huh? You know, we are a very, very diverse congregation. We come from all kinds of different church backgrounds. And, and we all know that out among us, there are different perspectives on different particular, some very important theological issues. Now, we could wrangle about that if we wanted to. But to be honest, I choose not to do that. I know what I believe the Bible teaches. I know what the PCA's position on particular issues is. I know our session's position on particular matters. And if you are here and have a different perspective, God bless you. You are welcome here. And I am glad that you are here. And my primary goal is not to try to persuade you to my position. My goal is to be your pastor. And to love you. And to care for you. And to pastor you. And to teach you faithfully from the Bible. And if any changing needs to be done in anyone's mind or anyone's heart to trust the Holy Spirit to do that. My perspective is if that you are looking for a church where you can wrangle about words, you've come to the wrong church. Or you've got the wrong pastor. Maybe I'm just too old. Paul says, remind them. Remind them. Solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words because it's useless and it leads to the destruction of the hearers. Then third, he tells Timothy to be diligent to handle God's truth accurately. He tells Timothy to be diligent to handle God's truth accurately. Verse 15 is one of the most familiar verses that we find in the pastoral epistles. It's where he tells Timothy, Be diligent and present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. 
Now, this is a verse directed specifically to pastors and teachers. Timothy was a pastor, and, and Paul is telling him, look, in your role as a pastor-teacher, you be careful how you handle God's truth, that you handle it accurately and carefully, that you be a good workman, that you be a diligent and faithful workman, that you not be ashamed because of it. It applies not just to pastors, but to anyone who teaches the Bible. Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders, women's and men's ministry leaders. You see, it's a tremendous responsibility, folks, to be entrusted with the Word of God, to study it, and then to teach it to someone else. Too many in the church, quite honestly, do not see what a great responsibility it is. And so they end up lazy, careless, and often inaccurate. I've I've heard of pastors, I've heard pastors say themselves. They throw their sermons together on Saturday night. That's horrendous. Churches ought not to put up with pastors who piddle away the week and less important things and throw together something for the last minute to teach to God's people. The most important responsibility given me every week is this. R.C. Sproul told me years ago, the most important hour in the life of the church is the hour of corporate worship. And if I come here ill-prepared, half-prepared, having thrown something together at the last minute, I've wasted the chief opportunity God has given to me and to you to grow as a body of believers. If you're a Sunday school teacher and you're not spending time preparing your lesson, preparing adequately to teach your students the lesson of the week, I charge you, I solemnly charge you to be diligent, to prepare. If you're a Bible study leader and you are throwing something together at the last minute without careful preparation, My admission to you is to be earnest and diligent that you not be someone who has to be ashamed of what you have presented. But it also applies to all of us. Even though we don't teach, we all study God's Word. And even in your devotional reading of the Scriptures, you need to be careful that you handle it accurately, that you approach it properly, that you be careful of the, of the commentaries that you use, of the Bible study helps that you use, that you make sure that you're being led into truth and not into something that is false or misleading. Then, then fourth, he tells Timothy to know the danger of turning from God's truth, of not focusing on God's truth. And we find that in verses 16 through 18 where he uh, describes a very sad personal situation he talks about the importance of avoiding in verse 16 worldly and empty chatter that worldly and empty chatter is anything that is outside the truths of God's word you see our lives ought to be centered on focused on saturated by the truth of God we ought to be bible believing bible focused bible saturated people So much so that it permeates our conversations. 
Paul says in another place that our, our language ought to be, as it were, seasoned with grace. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 5 that our, our speaking to one another ought to be with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord. You see, our understanding of God's truth ought to change the way that we talk with each other and what we talk about. And Paul tells us to avoid empty talk. What he calls worldly and empty chatter. Now, there's a place for talk outside the Bible. And, and most of us engage in a lot of that kind of talk. But let's be honest. Most of our conversations about the Bulldogs and the Rebels and the Golden Eagles, it's empty. It's empty. Most of our talk about politics, arts, entertainment, is empty. Has no lasting, eternal significance. For most of us, it's a lot more comfortable to engage in worldly and empty chatter that is about things more significant and weighty. I've got a son on his way to Omaha. It's a lot easier for us Mississippi State folks this weekend to talk about the World Series than it is about our own struggle with temptation and sin. Many times our worldly and empty chatter is an escape is an escape from dealing with the harsh realities of life. And the most important thing is that we ought to be talking about with each other. I'm not saying we ought not talk about sports or politics or entertainment or arts. I do more than my share of that myself, but I'll tell you, lots of times that's an escape for me. We ought to make sure that Many of our conversations are about spiritual things, eternal things, things that matter. And one way to evaluate your conversations in that regard, to see by their spiritual nature, ask yourself, did that conversation draw me closer to God? Did that conversation teach me something about Him and my relationship with Him? Did that conversation glorify God? And honor him. If your answer to those questions is most often no, then you've got a problem. And look at the danger of it. Paul says in verse into verse 16 to verse 17, it leads to further ungodliness and it spreads like gangrene. Now in the context, Paul again is talking about false teaching, the danger of false teaching how it attacks our souls, it spreads, this danger spreads among us. But constant worldly and empty chatter does the same thing. It takes us away from conversations that feed our souls, that encourage our walk with Christ. It takes our hearts away from Jesus. And Paul gives two men as an example. End of verse 17, their names are Hymenaeus and Philetus. 
many says who've gone astray from the truth and they had a false teaching that the resurrection had already taken place and it damaged the church it destroyed the faith of some you see that's the danger folks of wandering away from the truth that's why the truth is so important and if your life is consistently persistently only focused on worldly and empty chatter then you're not taking advantage of opportunities to feed and encourage and nurture your own soul it puts your soul and your spiritual growth in jeopardy and fifth finally and quickly He tells Timothy to realize the firm foundation we have in God's truth. Verse 19, he says, Nevertheless, beyond all this, the firm foundation of God's truth stands. The fact that someone teaches what is false does not negate what is true. Just because someone denies the truth of God does not mean that God's truth is not true. Nevertheless, even though all these things are true, the firm foundation of God stands. And we talk about it a lot here, but it's so important, isn't it? This is not just the firm foundation. This is the only foundation you have upon which you can build your life with any real sense of confidence. This is the only foundation that doesn't shift. And we know something about shifting soil in Mississippi, don't we? I mean, you're laughing because your houses are shifting. We have doors that don't shut at our house because the foundation is shifted. What you build is no better than the foundation upon which you build it. Doesn't matter how good it looks. Doesn't matter how good you appear on the outside as a moralistic person, the foundation upon which you're building your life is not the solid, firm foundation of the truth. And Paul draws two truths from that firm foundation as kind of what he calls seals. One is that the Lord knows those who are his. That's a great truth, isn't it? Jesus said, I know my own and my own know me. God is our heavenly father. Jesus is our good shepherd. He knows us. He knows us by name. The Lord knows intimately those who are His. If you belong to Him this morning, He knows you personally and intimately. What a rich blessing that is. And then the second truth is everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. That is, those who are known by the Lord and those who know the Lord are to live like it. Their lives will be transformed and changed by that great truth. And we are to live as those who follow Jesus. Well, I hope you've been reminded this morning of the importance of God's truth. I said before, churches like ours hold the truth in high regard. We believe it to be important. That's why we make it important in our lives. That's why we make it important in the church. The word of God is a, is a lamp into our feet. It's a light into our path. That's what we were saying earlier, wasn't it? Thy word is a, a lamp into my feet. It's a light unto my path. 
is to be the compass by which you guide your conduct, is to be the foundation again upon which you build your life. The truth of God is that which makes our lives go and which makes our church go. One of the reasons that the Bible is so important to us is because the central focus and the centerpiece of the Bible is Jesus. It's a firm foundation because it's in this book that we find the way of salvation, which is the way of Christ. From beginning to end, this book is all about Jesus. If you're trying to build your life without Him, it's going to be a futile exercise. If you're trying to find meaning and purpose in life apart from Christ, you're going to be extremely frustrated. If you're trying to lay a foundation upon which to build your life and the life of your family outside of Christ, one day, It'll all come crumbling down. We read earlier together from Psalm 119. Thy word I have treasured in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. And the psalm goes on to say, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. May we see the importance of God's truth and may it be that way in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this time together in it. And pray that as we are exposed to it over and over again, that your truth might become more and more a reality. We see the importance of it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.